Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A tree or a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. All right, well, good morning, everybody. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here at Trailhead, and uh, it's my privilege again to open up the scripture and uh, hear what God has to say to us. I want to uh, start this morning by reading you a little story. A certain wolf could not get enough to eat because of the watchfulness of the shepherds. But one night he found a sheepskin that had been cast aside and forgotten. The next day, dressed in the skin, the wolf strolled into the pasture with the sheep. Soon a little lamb was following him about and was quickly led away to slaughter. That evening the wolf entered the flock that evening the wolf entered the fold with the flock. But it happened that the shepherd took a fancy for mutton broth that very evening, and picking up a knife went to the fold. There the first he laid hands on and killed was the wolf. The end. I didn't write that, just so you know. That actually comes from the book uh, Aesop's Fables for Children, uh, written, published in 1919. The famous story of the wolf in sheep's clothing uh, has changed a little bit over time. (laughs) Children's stories have changed a lot over time. Have you noticed that? Like, if you ever see old fairy tales or read old fairy tales, they're much more um, gruesome. Uh, when we look today, when we hear the story of the shepherd, and, and in fact, in our passage today, Jesus uses the story, the metaphor of uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And his message is that the wolf in sheep's clothing is a danger to sheep. But one of the things I, I was looking as I was looking at the, the story and reading the original Aesop story this week, I realized the wolf in sheep's clothing is actually very, very dangerous for the wolf as well. In other words, when somebody pretends to be something they're not, and especially when false teachers get into the church of Jesus Christ, there's a danger for everyone involved. Uh, we are continuing our, ser- our, our series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today, as we come to the close of the sermon, as we get closer to the, to the close of the sermon, Jesus gives a very strong warning. He warns us to beware of false... T- wow. Is that, is that better? Can you hear me? No? Okay. Have you heard anything I've said this morning? <laughs> really? Okay. Oh my goodness. Um, it's, it's been that kind of week, I'll be honest. Um, let's, let's, here, let's start here. As we come to this passage today, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is giving us a very strong warning. 
very strong warning, to beware of false teachers. Uh, as we've said all along, as we've been looking at this sermon, there's a crowd and there are Jesus' disciples and, and these two kind of different audience who are listening both hear and both recognize Jesus' authority as he teaches. But not everyone who was listening to Jesus as he preached was convinced that everything he was saying was true. They heard him as having authority. And, and when Jesus preached, the people who heard him preach, they were impressed, for sure. But they weren't necessarily convinced. But there was something, regardless of whether what he said was true or not, he said it so well. He was speaking with authority, but here's the question I want to ask you as we look at this passage together. Does speaking with authority make what Jesus says true? In the course of this sermon, as we've studied it throughout the summer, Jesus has made some really bold claims. He's claimed that he is the promised Messiah. He's claimed that he is the chosen one who has come to, to rescue the people of Israel. He's claimed that he is the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. In, in chapter 5, at the very beginning of the sermon, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, listen to this. Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is, is claiming that when, when people are persecuted on his behalf, in his name, they will have a great reward someday in heaven. These are, these are big, big, bold claims. Jesus is saying that, that he is, and, and honestly... When we look at it in context, Jesus is claiming that he is co-equal with God the Father. Those are big, big claims. And it matters whether those claims are true. If Jesus really said the things that Matthew has recorded here in his gospel, and, and Luke and Mark and John, all the authors of the four gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life, as they record his words, if those things that Jesus said really are the words Jesus said, then he is claiming to be God incarnate, God in the flesh, and to be capable, capable of rescuing us from our impending destruction. Apologists have made this argument for years. If, if what Jesus is saying is not true, he would be the worst kind of liar. And some people want to say, well, Jesus is a good teacher, but Jesus' teaching isn't just moral maxims. He's not just saying, here's how to live a good life. Jesus is saying that he is God and he is capable of rescuing us, of doing what we on our own cannot do. If it's not true... He's absolutely not a good person. There have been a lot of people over the course of history who have claimed to be saviors, claimed to be messiahs. Um, here are a couple American messiahs, or men who claimed to be messiahs, just in American recent modern American history. You might know some of these people. Um, 
Jim Jones, uh, in the early 80s, this, this man's name was Marshall Applewhite, and this is a guy named David Koresh. All three of them famously claimed to be, maybe not Jesus, they didn't say they were Jesus necessarily, but they all claimed to be saviors. And they all had dedicated groups of people who followed them, believing that what they were saying was true. There are a lot of people who say they can save us. Now, if you know anything about the history of these men, what they said didn't come true. And all three of these men had followers who believed them, and their lives were not rescued by them. All three of these men, honestly, their, their lives and their teaching led to tragedy. Because people believed them, people invested in them, people thought that they were the savior they claimed to be, and instead what they led to was destruction. So how do we know? How do we know when Jesus says he's the Messiah, he's our savior, how do we know? Why do we trust Jesus? Why would we trust Jesus over and above these guys? Or maybe not them, necessarily, because they seem really extreme, especially now, knowing what we know of what happened to them and what happened to their followers. Of course, all of us are like, well, we would never follow somebody like that. But maybe other teachers, other philosophers, other leaders, who claim that they can save us, who claim that they can rescue us, who claim that they know things other people don't know, that they have secret knowledge that other people don't have. In fact, the way Jesus describes them, to go back to verse 15 of this scripture, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. I mean, yeah, we look at these guys and we're like, well, they're, they're not in sheep's clothing. They're, they're wackos. They're extreme. But what about teachers? What about leaders who look so good on the outside? Who look just like us? And claim that they have the answer and they have the truth. How do we know that they're any different or any worse than Jesus? Now look, there are a lot of resources about the historicity of Jesus. There's, there's a lot that you could read about the reasoning behind believing the truthfulness of Jesus' life. Uh, there, there's a lot that you could read and study about the veracity of the gospel accounts of his life, what I mentioned, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, and we would be happy, we would love to share those resources with you. Okay, we have resources available. Um, there, there are great ways that we can study that. Today, though, Today I want to approach this question from a different perspective. Today what I want to do is look at this passage from Jesus' sermon. And I want to look at what Jesus is talking about specifically in this passage and ask, using Jesus' own rubric, how to differentiate true teachers from false teachers. How can we, based on what Jesus says here, how do we know the difference between a true teacher and a false teacher. And I want to do this a little backwards. I want to talk about Jesus and why and how we can trust Jesus' teaching. But I want to come to that at the end. I want to start uh, first by looking at this passage itself. And, and, and I want to look at this together as if it's true. 
I want to work from that assumption. We'll come to that later. Um, like I said, there's a whole bunch of reasons that we believe it's true. But let's just take it for now as truth, as what Jesus has to say about false teachers. And, and let's see what he says that, that we can look at and we can ask ourselves, how do we know the difference between a true teacher and a false teacher? To do that, I think we need to start by making sure we understand what Jesus is warning us against here. Okay, what are false prophets? Jesus, the, the warning starts, beware of false prophets. Um, now, when we say prophets, that can encompass a pretty wide range uh, of, of different types of teachers. Okay, anybody who speaks and, and claims to have the authority to speak on behalf of God, could be considered a prophet or a teacher. And in fact, in, in the book of Second Peter, um, the Apostle Peter groups together false prophets and false teachers. So when we talk about false prophets, anybody who teaches any way of understanding the world, we need to ask the question, is this way of understanding, is this what they are teaching true? And how do we know that? Okay, I, I wanted to know exactly you, you, some ideas and some, some, maybe some good examples of who is a false teacher. And so I, I looked online because the internet is a great place to find out everything you need to know. And here's what I found out. Here's who is a false teacher. Can we hear a picture of these false teachers? That next slide. Ne- next one. Everyone. Okay. According to the internet, Every single pastor you've ever heard of in your entire life, every single preacher, every single teacher, everybody who's ever written a book, somebody online claims they're a false teacher. Everybody is a false prophet. I, I, and I say this somewhat jokingly, but I was trying to do some reading this week. Um, we publish quotes in the bulletin and online. We send out a weekly email and we have quotes from different speakers. And so I was like looking for some quotes on false teachers. And if you put in the name of anybody and false teachers, instead of a bunch of quotes about false teachers, what you will find is a bunch of people claiming that person is a false teacher. Because everybody's a false teacher. And it doesn't matter what perspective you're, you're, you're espousing, somebody thinks everybody is a heretic. There's somebody who will tell you everybody is evil and wrong and leading everyone astray. We live in such an extreme culture. And so we make very, very bold claims. Everybody is either 100% in agreement with me or they're the worst, most evil, false teacher. They're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Everybody. In fact, I'll be honest, that's one of the reasons... As, as we preach through, as we talk through this today, I'm going to be very reluctant to, to name anybody by name and say, like, this person is a false teacher or this person. Because there's so much in our culture, there's so much of trying to latch on to, here's a well-known person, I'm going to call them out and tell how evil and how awful they are because that makes me sound better. And so I'm going to let you kind of draw your own conclusions about specific people for yourself, Okay. Instead, here's what I want to do. I want to look at Jesus' definition. Look again in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There's a parallel passage to this I want to look at um, in Acts chapter 20. If you 
can turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts, the book of Acts, the context here, um, the Apostle Paul has been preaching. This is after Jesus has, has left the earth and he's gone back into heaven. And Paul is, is traveling as a missionary and he's raising up leaders throughout all the different uh, regions and areas where he's preaching and, and gospel preaching churches are being established. And specifically, he's in a city called Ephesus here in Acts chapter 20. He spent all this time establishing this church, um, training the leaders, preaching the gospel, and now he's about to leave. And as he, he's about to leave, he starts talking to the leaders who are going to be leading in his place after he's left. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves, yourselves being the teachers, and to all the flock, the flock here, same imagery, flock, uh, sheep, um, being the church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, look, here's the verse, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Here's what I want you to see about this. What Jesus is talking about, what Paul is talking about here, are men, men and women, not just people that you disagree with. Okay, These aren't even necessarily references to sincere believers who make theological mistakes. Okay, That's not what he's talking about when he talks about false teachers. Every human being who attempts to speak and teach will at some point probably make a mistake will misspeak, even sincerely believe something that isn't quite right. If any teacher or any preacher had full, 100% perfect understanding of the scriptures, if any teacher or preacher had full, 100% understanding of God, they would have literally omniscience like God has. Nobody has that. That's what makes us human and makes God God. So, so preachers, teachers will make mistakes. Look, I know, and I think back on it, I've preached some really dumb stuff in my life. Okay, some of you are like, yeah, we've been here for 20 minutes and we already agree with that. Um, I, I like to think that over the course of my life, I've learned and I've grown. I know there are still times when I trip up. Um, it's really hard to take the mysteries of God, to take all of the, the, the deep truths of the gospel and distill them down and communicate them in a way that, that holds both simplicity so people can understand it and complexity so that you're not flattening out something that is much, much more complex and complicated than the way you're trying to explain it. And so, like, the Trinity, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, which teaches that God is, there, there's, Three persons in one Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is incredibly complex. And I have trouble understanding it myself, let alone trying to teach it myself. And so I know there are times that I have said things that have come out wrong, maybe that if even I've misunderstood them. I, I don't think, in saying that, that that makes me a wolf, that that makes me a false teacher. It just makes me kind of human. What Jesus and Paul are talking about here are not sincere teachers who make mistakes. 
They're not people who just happen to have a disagreement with you about some minor point of doctrine. I'm not saying the Trinity is a minor point of doctrine. I'm saying it's confusing and complex. What Jesus and Paul are talking about here are people who are intentionally, like wolves, disguised as sheep, intentionally seeking to build their own kingdoms at the expense of other believers. These are men and women who have looked at the church and looked at sincere believers and followers of Jesus Christ and have said, that is the perfect place for me to get what I want for myself. That in their own life, they have a, a desire for, uh, for their own self-interest. They want pleasure. They want money. They want power. They want fame. They want status. They want approval. You know, all the things all of us want, right? All the things we all struggle with. All of the things we're all tempted towards. And, and so they look at the church and they say, I can go in there and I can be like the people who are there but I can lead those people to me to give me what I want for myself. I can be a wolf in sheep's clothing, not because I don't understand what it means to be a sheep, but because I totally understand what it means to be a sheep. And I think I can get something good from the sheep, something for myself. I can build myself up. Not everyone... Here's the point I'm trying to make. Not everyone is a wolf. God does raise up leaders to lead his people. Look at that passage in Acts again. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves, talking to the leaders, and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. There's a sacred responsibility and a sacred duty to being a leader in the church. God raises up leaders to lead his people. We refer to these people often as shepherds. The word shepherd, um, excuse me, the Latin word pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. God calls men and God calls men and women to lead in his church, to shepherd his church, to care for the flock. But sometimes, people who have not been called by God see opportunity in the church to to benefit themselves. The danger comes when the motivation to lead is off. When the motivation to lead doesn't come from a call to the to the gospel, a call from God to care for and lead and shepherd and proclaim the gospel. The danger is when the call, the motivation, is a motivation towards itself. Here's the problem with this. Jesus is warning us, beware of false prophets. There are men and there are women who will teach false things because they want, they want to lead believers astray because they believe it will benefit them. It's a warning. We need to be on guard. We need to be watching out for this. But the problem is, you can't see someone's motivation. You can't look at a person 
and know what's going on in their heart. We usually get in big, big, big trouble when we assume that we can, right? When you think you know why people do the things they do, because you're not. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about judgment. We think, in our, our pride, and our arrogance, we think we know why people do the things we do. We think that we are very complex and nuanced people, but we believe we can read everybody else. We can't. So how do you know if someone is a wolf? They don't look like a wolf. That's the whole point. I mean, whenever you hear or or see like a children's version of the story of the wolf in sheep's clothing, it's always like really obvious, right? It's a wolf who has like a sheepskin sitting on top of his head, right? Maybe it's kind of draped around his back, but but his actual wolf face is sticking out, right? He's walking around, he's like three feet taller than all the sheep, and he's like, growling and trying to say bah. And because for kids, that's fine because kids don't understand. But as an adult, you're watching this and you're like, why are the sheep so stupid? The wolves are obvious. The skin doesn't fit. Like there's nobody who would ever fall for a wolf. But we do. Because what Jesus is talking about here, false prophets, they're not instantly recognizable. Their motivations aren't patently obvious. How do we know the difference between a wolf and a true sheep? Well, Jesus tells us, thankfully, and that's the majority of this passage. Look again, verse 16. You will recognize them. See, he knows the question. Like if we're saying, well, how can we tell? He, He answers it right away. You will recognize them how? By their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he says it again. Here it is, verse 20. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The metaphor here. Uh, It's different. So we've been talking about sheep and wolves. Now we're going to talk about fruit. But the metaphor here is very simple. Like, again, really easy to understand. When you plant an apple tree, it will grow apples. Apples. A couple people have heard of apple trees before. That's cool. I didn't know that was a tough cultural... Okay. Um, Here, let me try a different one. Maybe If I planted a peach tree, I would grow... Peaches are more commonly known than apple trees, I see. If I planted an apple tree and I went out and looked for peaches, you would say, that makes no sense. Apple trees grow apples. Peach trees grow peaches. Or the way Jesus talks about it, grapes don't grow from thorn bushes. Figs don't grow from thistles. Trees bear the fruit of that type of tree. And so what Jesus is saying here is, what is inside, what we are, our fundamental character is displayed, it comes out in us as we grow. Now I want to be careful as we talk about fruit here. Because when we get into this conversation, and we're talking about leaders in a church, it can be really easy to misunderstand what Jesus is referring to as fruit. Like the metaphor is clear. 
there's good fruit and bad fruit. And bad teachers produce bad fruit and good teachers produce good fruit. But what is the fruit? And this is what trips up so many churches. We tend to think of fruit as success. We tend to think that especially for church leaders, growing the size of a church or being really talented and becoming well-known and famous or even seeing people convert and their lives changed by God is proof that a teacher is producing good fruit. But that's not the kind of fruit Jesus is referring to. And now this is really, really hard for some of us to grasp a hold of. Okay? Because if you say, well, what's the role? What's the, what's the job? What's the mission of a church leader, of a pastor? You say, well, the, the mission of a church leader is to spread the gospel. And so the more people they reach with the gospel, the more people believe the gospel, the more lives are transformed by the gospel, then the more fruitful they're being, right? But that's not what Jesus refers to as fruit. In the New Testament, when, when Jesus or, or Paul or Peter or any New Testament writer talks about fruit, they're not talking about what we humans refer to as success. They're not talking about numerical growth. They're talking about something different. The best definition, the clearest definition is in the book of Galatians. And so again, if you, if you have your Bible and you will turn to Galatians chapter 5. This is a really well-known pas- passage, but I think it's really important. In the context of this conversation, to look at what Jesus referred, what, this is Paul writing in the book of Galatians. But what is fruit and how does it help us differentiate true teachers from false teachers? Look at Galatians chapter 5. And it starts in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That list does not include a growing church. It doesn't include um, acquiring a, a larger platform on social media. The list doesn't include having books published. It doesn't include keeping track and keeping score of how many people have prayed conversion prayers under your ministry. The list that Paul gives there, what is fruit? The kind of fruit that we, Jesus tells us, we can recognize true teachers and differentiate them from false teachers. Is the transformation of a person's character. Not what they do, but who they are. The question we have to ask as believers, as sheep, are the voices we are listening to marked in their own lives by this kind of fruit? Jesus says, a true teacher will know them by their fruit. And the fruit that defines them is a character that's transformed by the Holy Spirit. 
Let me ask you a second question that's, that's just as related. When you listen to their teaching, the, the voices that you listen to, the teaching that you hear, is it leading you to grow in this fruit? There is so much temptation in the church to ignore character flaws in a leader because of ministry success or because of incredible talent. We are, um, we are seeing more and more in America today the debris from this kind of thinking. There are pastors, well-known, super famous pastors who are falling frequently now. And there are just as many, maybe more lower profile, not as well-known pastors, who are also falling in the ministry, but they're hurting just as many people and they're destroying just as many lives. Lives are being damaged. The witness of the church is being diminished. Because we overlook sin in people's lives because of the results of their ministry. Jesus says you will know false teachers by their fruit. Not because they're successful, but because their lives look more and more and more like Jesus. Now, the standard for a leader is not perfection. That is outside the bounds of humanity. That's impossible. The question, though, is a leader, is a teacher, is the person you're listening to growing in the fruit of spirit-led transformation. As you get to know someone who is teaching, who is leading you, do you see in their life character being shaped by the Holy Spirit? Now that's really hard to know when it's like a celebrity pastor that you just happen to listen to their podcast or watch their videos on YouTube. Which is one of the reasons why it is absolutely essential for us as believers to be connected to real people we know. To not try to get all of our teaching from someone who lives 300 miles away. Who might be really gifted and really talented. And I'm not saying, please, please, I'm not saying we shouldn't look to resources to understand truths about Scripture. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, we need, all of us need to be connected to a local church to leaders within a local church who we know. Because the only way we are going to know if this fruit is real in their lives is if we know those people. If the fruit is diseased, Jesus says, it's coming from a diseased tree. A healthy tree, verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Now here's a really important question that goes with this. What makes a tree healthy? I mean, if you're judging based on the fruit, that's one thing. That tells you whether the tree is healthy or not. But if the fruit is bad, where is that bad fruit coming from? What makes teaching true or false? Let's look back at that passage in Acts again. Because I want to show what Paul says when he's talking again. This is the parallel passage, or not parallel passage, but a a similar kind of teaching. He says, he's warning them. This is Acts chapter 20 again. He's warning them about false teachers. And he says, from among you, your own selves, verse 30, 
will arise men speaking twisted thing to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. It's a warning, just like Jesus gave. Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What makes a tree healthy is the gospel. What Paul refers to here as the word of God's grace. The teaching that marks a healthy leader is teaching that is soaked in the gospel. And that teaching marks a healthy leader because a healthy leader has a life that is soaked in the gospel. Paul's even more explicit about this in Galatians. We just looked at Galatians chapter 5. Look at Galatians chapter 1. I, I, just, I know we're, we're, this is a lot of different scriptures, but I think it all goes together in a really important way. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul starts out his letter to the Galatians in this way. Verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. False teachers. But even, look at verse 8, but even if we, Paul himself and his, his companions, or an angel from heaven, anybody, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is pre- preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What Paul is saying is, the gospel is the only true message of Jesus Christ. And anybody, anybody who would twist it, anybody who would distort it, is a false teacher. And it's going to become apparent because if you do not grasp, Paul is saying, if you do not grasp the truth of God's grace, then your life will not be transformed by God's grace. Your fruit, as Jesus said, will be bad. Look, if Jesus is true, if the gospel is true, it has implications for all of life. All of life. And all beyond our life. Our eternity hangs on this. We're going to talk about that more next week. If the gospel is not true, you're building your life on a lie. I'm building my life on a lie to follow the gospel. But if it is true, it changes everything. I mean, Paul says, if anybody tries to teach a different gospel, let them be accursed. That is strong, strong, strong language. But it has strong language because this matters. This matters. It is really important for us to understand what makes a healthy tree, a healthy teacher, and it's a proper focus on the gospel. It is the gospel that transforms people. You can't create your own fruit. Okay, You can take peaches and try to duct tape them to an apple tree. It's not going to work. False teachers can't change their own fruit. Just like we can't change our own fruit. Only the gospel can transform our lives. 
But all of that really, honestly, all of that really just leads us back to the original question. Why do we trust Jesus? Why believe the gospel? If I'm saying, if we're saying, if, <laughs> look, I'm up here, I'm proclaiming, I'm, I'm teaching. And what I'm teaching is this gospel, that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again, that's everything. And I'm saying it's either that or, or a person's a false teacher. Well, why believe that? Why believe Jesus' gospel any more than any other person who claims to be a Messiah? Now, like I said, there are academic reasons to believe Jesus. I'm not discounting those at all. But I want to look at Jesus' own words here. Jesus says we will know teachers by their fruit. So what is Jesus' fruit? What did Jesus do in his life? What does Jesus' character look like? Jesus spent his entire life moving toward those who were weak and hurting. Those who were broken and sinful. Jesus looked at the most vulnerable people, the sheep, and he moved toward them in a way to protect them. Wolves look at the vulnerable the weak as people that either they need to avoid or people that they can exploit. A wolf looks at the most vulnerable and says, that is someone who can I can use them to get what I want. Jesus looked at those people, the weakest, the most broken, the outcast, and he said, I want to move towards them in love. Not because of anything they can give me. What could we give to Jesus? What could anybody give to Jesus? but just because I love them. We've been reading, all summer long, we've been looking at at the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. We've been talking about Jesus, which makes a lot of sense. He's the one speaking. But I want to take a second to tell you a a little something about the author, Matthew, the one who recorded Jesus' sermon. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. Remember we had a crowd and we had disciples? Matthew was one of the disciples. He was one of the ones who was bought in. He was one of the ones who, who sold out everything to follow Jesus. Matthew, scriptures tell us, was a tax collector. And in, in that day, in the first century, a tax collector, especially a Jewish tax collector, was somebody who was working in an occupied Roman territory, raising money for the Romans who had enslaved the Jews. Matthew was basically a traitor to his own people. He was an outcast. If anybody looked at Matthew, who was a a good, rule-following Jew, they would have thought, that guy is horrible. That is the worst possible kind of person. He's dishonest. He's betraying his people. And they would have wanted nothing to do with them. But not Jesus. Jesus went to Matthew. Jesus sought Matthew out. Jesus stepped into Matthew's life and offered offered himself. 
And there are multiple other examples of this throughout the New Testament. People who were on the margins of society, people who were, in the sheep metaphor, the ones who would have been easiest to pick off and to lead astray. Jesus goes towards those people and he shows them love. The fruit that we see in Jesus' life is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Jesus loved and he moved towards people who were in need. And he didn't exploit them and he didn't use them. He rescued them. He didn't didn't increase the danger in their lives. He saved them from their own self-destructiveness. As we, as a church and as individuals, follow Jesus, I mean really follow his teaching and his life, when we're transformed by the gospel, we experience that kind of fruit in our lives. Our lives are shaped more and more to look like him. How do we know we can trust Jesus? Look at his fruit. He gave everything for us. Us who are weak. Us who on our own cannot do anything. But Jesus came in, and even though he's more powerful, he didn't use us. He didn't seek to to boost his own ego through us. He loved us. That's a Messiah worth following. Let's pray. In a moment, we're going to share communion together. First, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for moving towards us when we were outcasts, when we were lost, when we were sinners. We need you. And you bent down to us in our greatest need, and you loved us. Thank you. God, help us. Help us to be wise. Help us to weigh the words, all the different teaching that that wants to speak into our lives, that wants to influence us. Help us to weigh that against the truth of your gospel. But help us more than that even, to be focused on loving others the way you've loved us. Transform our lives. Grow fruit that comes from our faith in you. In the name of your son we pray. Amen.